Oh, the Rated R Radio Star is here. And if you're wondering about the audio, oh yes, I am on my trusty Kingston HyperX Cloud 2 headset. So, because uh, on location, baby. But I got your hookup for you for your little Wednesday Q&A. And boy, we've got a lot uh, of questions to get to. I'm going to try and get to all of them. But... I don't know. <laughs> I don't I don't know if we'll make it. Uh, I want to say thank you to everybody. Well, a few things are in order. Um, I want to say thank you to everyone that really enjoyed uh, the egoism episode that I did recently. In fact, it was just last week. I believe it was on Thursday or Friday that I released it. I'm um, talking about the recent translation of uh, Max Stirner's seminal work, that being The Ego in Its Own, or as it's known in its recent translation by Wolfie Lonstrecker, uh, the Unique in Its Property. Uh, glad everybody got something out of that. There, I may get to, someone asked a, a Q&A question um, in reference to that, that I may get to this week. I'll kind of save that one more towards the end. Got a lot of tech questions to get into that I want to answer, um, but maybe they're ones that I can answer kind of quickly. So also I want to mention, and the link is in the appendix of the show notes for this episode and pretty much every Q&A going forward. Um, there is the website, retroshare.sovereigntech.com. Of course, that's retroshare, like the software retroshare that I've been talking about for many years. Um, and it's retroshare.sovereigntech.com. If you are a patron and you want to get access, I mean, it is really active. There's chat rooms. There's great content available. Like, I mean, believe me, content that you want, like all the stuff that I talk about and you know, <laughs> you can't beat the price. Uh, so, um, but if you want to get your hands on all of that, uh, a lot of people are really excited. There's a full directory at retroshare.sovereigntech.com. That's the website. Uh, that'll give you your hookup. And I mean, it's really cool. I love the fact because look, I didn't do any of this. Yeah. I set up that page, you know, and I made things, you know, kind of happen there, but it's the sovereign tech listeners, the sovereign naughty, the sovereign tech sweaties, that are really making this go, making this happen, that are really, you know, finally creating a community using open source software. That's the real deal that if necessary could, well, quite frankly, you know, replace the internet or the World Wide web and, and just about every other part that we know over the internet other than perhaps, you know, the infrastructure, but anyway, it's, it's just, it's so exciting. It's so beautiful. Um, I haven't been super active on it in the past couple of weeks, but I'll be there. Uh, you know, I, I just, I think it's phenomenal. I'm always seeing, I'm always getting the little notifications on my laptop, uh, saying that somebody connects on retro share. And every time I see it, I just, you know, little, little swell of pride there, baby, because <laughs> Because it's just so cool to see people using it. So thank you. Uh, special thanks to Aaron E., you know, who is the one, um, definitely a person you want to connect with on there, but you can connect with everybody. But, uh, you know, he's really been leading the charge and everybody else has just been, you know, rocking and rolling with it as well. Uh, just so cool. So uh, thanks for that. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, I get a thank you out to everybody that's been uh, so active and has been so, you know, using the uh, the Facebook, uh, the secret Sovereign Tech Facebook group, Sovereign Tech Uncensored. Uh, that is be- that is already, in my opinion, wildly popular, especially compared. Let me tell you, I- I've been in a few groups on Facebook in my day and none of them. Woo, woo, no, <laughs> there we go. None of them <laughs> have the action and have the stuff that's going on in that group. I mean, it is hot. It is white hot. And I, I, I just love it. And, you know, I actually, something I noticed about Facebook groups, like originally, and I don't know if it's because however many people end up getting into the group or whatever, like I, you know, I used to be able to see every post that gets made in there by everybody that's in there. And I, and I was doing my best, you know, to try and I'm, I've been doing my best to try and interact with everybody that posts on there, you know, uh, 
and and I'm really honored. A lot of people have said it's their favorite part of Facebook already. A lot of people have said, you know, it's it feels like a safe space for them to talk about things. And absolutely, I think that's beautiful. Uh, and so I, you know, I want to reinforce that, and I want to, you know, make sure everybody's having a good time, um, or talking about the serious stuff when they need to, you know. Um, but I don't get notifications now for everybody for every post. I don't know if because there's so many, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't understand what that is. So if I miss people's posts, like I apologize, just tag me if you really want me to be involved. Uh, and, and I'm happy, you know, to, to check it out, but I mean, it's just, it's so active. I, I can't possibly keep track of everything, but that's beautiful. That's great. Like I'm, I'm really okay with that. So, uh, I'm glad everybody gets to, gets to use it, but if something needs to be brought to my attention, you know, just, just tag me on there. So that's been going great as well. Uh, of course, if you don't already know, um, you know, it's not just a Patreon perk. This is something for everybody for every sovereign tech fan and even people that may not listen to the show so much but are just part of the cool kids club um you just got to friend me on 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 facebook facebook.com slash brian sovereign friend me then you message me and you know you pm me and i'll I'll get you into the group let me know you want to be in the group and i'll get you know i've got your hookup Uh, a lot of people have loved and i'll tell you something i'm not going to spend a bunch of time on this one of the things that i've been doing every day i post some kind of sexy art in the morning and everybody just loves that I mean, they, in fact, some people have said to me, they said, wow, my day was shitty, but I got home and I saw this artwork and seriously, like, you know, I just feel better, you know, and, and that's so great. It's kind of the only place, you know, like a secret group like that, that I'm the admin of is really one of the only places, you know, cause most people aren't on Twitter. So one of the only more popular places, I guess, where I can share that. Um, and maybe other people can feel comfortable interacting with it and giving me the feedback about it and whatever, uh, you know, where, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, there's tits showing, there's, there's the whole thing, you know, you know, and, and it's just, it, it's so cool. I've always wanted to share that sort of stuff, but you know, if you show nipples on, on, on Instagram, uh, they'll take you down somebody will report you or whatever on Facebook. I've been reported a billion times for the artwork I used to share, uh, years ago when I cared more about Facebook, but anyway, so that, that's been really enjoyable. And honestly, like that's almost half the reason I created the group because I want to be able to share this art and I want people to see it. And it's so beautiful also to have people all across the gender spectrum digging the work, digging the artwork. That's, that's fucking awesome. That's the future. In my opinion, that's the future happening right there. Uh, so yeah, I just, I, I love it. Anyway, uh, probably got a little Star Wars update that'll be coming out in the next couple weeks. Of course, the book for Inferno Squadron just came out uh, yesterday, and uh, I've already been digging into it. I can't wait. I think this is phenomenal. But uh, uh, well, anyway, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to get ahead of myself. But we'll be doing a Star Wars update episode real soon. Uh, let's get into the questions. Let's just do it. I, I think there might have been some other things I wanted to to talk to everybody about, but fuck. Let. <laughs> oh yes. Okay. All right. No, this one's important. Um, so something that I'm going to be doing, uh, and I, I experimented with it last week and the response I got was just tremendous. Uh, and I, and I kind of figured it was, um, that is, I'm going to the, the prime episodes of sovereign tech, not really going to add anything to them, not going to do anything special to them, but I'm going to release them in the main sovereign tech feed that everybody's been using for years. And now I'm also going to add them into the sovereign tech Patreon feed. Everybody said pretty much across the board that they loved 
having everything in one singular feed. You know, they have all the Patreon episodes, all the bonus content, and then the Prime episodes in one feed. So you got it, baby. Um, I, I will absolutely, I mean, it's, it doubles my work a bit, but I, I'm happy, I'm more than happy to do that for the patrons. Uh, you know, you guys, gals and Zs, I mean, you, you really make all this happen. Uh, so, uh, you know, I'm more than happy to do that. Um, I did release the episode a day early last week. I don't know if that's going to be a thing that'll happen often. Um, nobody seemed to really, you know, I mean, some people like that. Other people are like, yeah, I'm not too concerned about getting it early, but I do love having it in, in a singular feed. So, I'm going to make that happen. There's, there's a little Patreon, I, I guess, perk, uh, for you. And, and that's nice too, especially if <laughs> to some degree, you know, SoundCloud really does shit the bed, which I'm not opposed to that happening. Uh, you know, that's obviously an immediate backup thing that, that can happen. Um, I, I have to experiment with some of this stuff more because I'm, I'm going to be doing, I'm doing a major restructuring of Patreon. Like I talked about, I think it was last week. Uh, like I really need to hire, uh, somebody and I, I already have, I already have, I have especially one person in mind, but I already have, uh, uh, you know, other, I, I, I have other people in mind that I would love to hire and, and have them just help make Sovereign Tech, Sex and Science Hour, um, Zomi Offline Games, Audio of the Ancients, all the, all the books, you know, Dark Android, the fiction, the newsletter, the whole thing, you know, somebody, a real professional, Okay. And I already have one gal in mind, but a real professional that, you know, that I could hire, pay right, do it right. And I know she could do it right. So anyway, that's, that, that, that's something that, that I'm looking to make happen because we're growing baby. I mean, this is getting, <laughs> yeah, I, I think I cracked a joke when I do my little page, whenever I get a new patron, which uh, welcome to the new patrons. I know some of you just joined up. Um, you know, I do my little ding, another Cybertech patron, and then I'll, I'll say some bullshit underneath it. And I said, we're going to need a bigger boat. Yeah. It's getting to the point. We're going to need a bigger fucking boat. <laughs> it's, it's getting on. It's getting wild. So please, you know, patrons, I'll just ask you this. Please keep sharing the show. Please keep telling people about the show. All right. You know, get people on board with the stuff. I know some of you already have gotten me new listeners, have even gotten me new patrons and all that. I am so honored by that. Let's get this thing out there because Sovereign Tech is such a unique animal. You know, it really is. It does. It works on so many levels. Honestly, I don't know many, many podcasts that even work on the levels that Sovereign Tech is working on. And I'm not boasting about it. Okay. I had people, you know, this is a question that I got. I had people email me. We're going to get into tech questions here. I had people email me and say, you know, like, like what's, you know, do you have any tips or tricks, you know, for creating a podcast and all this stuff? You know, f four years ago, I got that. I was asked that a lot and I did actual like bonus special episodes that were totally free. You can still find them where I gave tips. And I think there might have even been like some early Patreon Q and A's, uh, where, where I, you know, people asked, you know, if I wanted to start a podcast, how would I go about it? And I gave my tips and tricks and all that stuff, you know, but you know what, like to do what I'm doing, I, like, I, I don't think I could tell you, you know, all I'm doing, and this is, this is the response I gave to the person. All I'm doing is I'm making the content, you know, be it what you read, see, hear, play, whatever. I'm making the content that I want to exist in the world. That's my, that's, that's my only trick. That's my only secret. It's all I'm doing. It's what I want to be out there. The kind of stuff I want to listen to, the kind of stuff I want to hear. And does that include orgy scenes, people moaning, you know, and, and whatever else going on? Woo! Yeah, you better believe it. That's what I want. And so I make it. Do I want my video games with sex in it? Fuck yes. So I make them. Do I want my stories, you know, with, with like, you know, high drama and, and all this other shit? Yeah, so I write them. Do I want books out there that can tell people from stem to stern how to start encrypting their fucking devices? You bet your ass I do. So I wrote it. 
That's the only trick I've got, is I just make what I want. I guess I just happen to have very diverse tastes. And uh, that lends to me making all kinds of things, you know, like even albums, music. I write music. I have a lot of fun doing it, too. Anyway, um, so let's, uh, let, all right, let's get into the, the tech questions finally here. Woo! So, and this one actually went right to the, uh, right to the BBS at SovereignTech.com email address, the primary email address. Uh, I see a lot slash many slash most of the Cody help slash tips sites are pushing VPN use since the latest version, 17 point whatever of Cody apparently, uh, uses encrypted connections is V, uh, use apparently using encrypted connections via VPN. I'm, I mean, that's not exactly how I wrote it is really required, uh, or isn't really required just a good idea or, or is it even, Oh, is it all really necessary? I'm just kind of a novice on this stuff. Uh, but I've been around the net for over 20 years and have not had any problems. Um, and I, uh, TIA, I don't, I, that's terrible. I don't know what TIA means. Anyway, <laughs> TIA. And I listen to all the shows, uh, Patreon, or maybe thanks for everything. I don't know. Uh, I listen to all the shows and Patreon as well. So it's a patron. So, uh, I'll answer this here. So Cody, we actually talked about Cody and kind of, uh, torrenting and all that stuff. That was a few Patreon episodes back as far as using a VPN with Cody. Yeah, absolutely. I recommend that because it's a matter of time before a lot of the super cookie and spiders and all and web spiders that, um, a lot of the ISPs and whoever else are putting out there are eventually going to track these streaming sites a lot harder and may potentially track them back to you. So I think using a VPN, especially on a dedicated device and on dedicated software like Cody, for those that don't know, Cody is this, um, it's the kind of the sequel to XMBC, which is this kind of overlay on, on your operating system. And you can run it on just about anything. It was originally made for the OG Xbox, like, you know, the original Xbox from, you know, before the 360. Um, that's why they called it XMBC anyway, or XBMC, whatever it was. Uh, so, so Cody is this really great media software that just, you know, makes your library pretty can also stream stuff off of streaming sites and, and, you know, to some degree through torrenting and all that. Uh, it's very slick software. I'm a major supporter of Cody. I think it's a beautiful, wonderful thing. I think Cody boxes, um, are, are just fantastic. I, they have my full support. Uh, yes, I, I would absolutely run a VPN. Um, is it necessary? No. Uh, but is it a good idea to be on top of these things? Oh, you bet. You bet, because, you know, they, they can't go after everybody that's using Cody. Like, that'd be impossible for the MPAA and ISPs and the RIA or whoever else to go after everybody using Cody. However, they will pick, they will, they will make uh, uh, martyrs of some people when they really want to go after that. And you don't want that to be you. And I don't want it to be you, not just because you're a patron donor, okay? But I just don't want it to be you. I don't want it to be anybody. Uh, so... Please uh, do use a, um, you know, do use a VPN because it is very easy to set up in Cody and it doesn't affect the rest of your network. And uh, I'll give you the quick tips on how to how to do it right um, with with Cody. OK, so you, you don't really suffer too much as far as speed. Um, what you're going to want to do is to be on the safe side. OK, you're going to get the, the VPN service you want to get. You want to get it from private Internet access. That way you can use it on however many devices you have. You don't just have to use it with Cody. OK, but go with private Internet access. Um, you can go to private Internet You can find it there. Uh, and I mean, you can even and this is amazing. You know, 
you talk about things you can do with Zcash, like you can donate to Sovereign Tech with Zcash, and thank you for those that do. Uh, you can actually purchase um, a VPN subscription with Zcash. I have, I do, uh, and it's just it, that's such an awesome thing. Um, but you can use Bitcoin, you can use all kinds of things if you want to anonymize it. I've talked about how to use a VPN many times, uh, but. You're going to want to use private internet access. That's the one I recommend. And then you're going to want to connect. I think Cody allows you to choose what, what server you want to go to. You want to go with a Netherlands server. Okay, a server in the Netherlands that be for, for legal reasons. If you find that it's just too slow when you're using the Netherlands server, well, then, yeah, use one in the U.S. that's the farthest away from you. Okay, but bottom line is, is absolutely encrypt your Cody, what you're doing with Cody if you're streaming and all that stuff. I really do recommend using a VPN. Um, I mean, I recommend everybody use a VPN for all kinds of reasons. I mean, you know, another great thing is really just to send the market signal that, no, people give a shit about security and privacy and encryption. You know, I think that that's a beautiful thing completely on its own. Uh, so, yeah, that that's that's my my recommendation there. Um, OK, so that question's out of the way. Uh, do do. Yeah. Do you use a VPN? I, I really don't want anybody, you know, getting fined or, you know, who knows what else is going to go on. I mean, because people they're starting to crack down on this shit. Uh, <laughs> it's it's getting pretty ugly out there. So, OK. Let's see, what was or is the biggest, most used encryption software? Still getting back into the tech world for almost 10 years out of the game. Someone was telling me TrueCrypt. Okay, so if you are, to answer this one, um, if you are looking to encrypt, do either whole hard drive encryption, say on a Windows computer or something along those lines. Um, if you're going with Linux, you can actually do entire disk encryption right from your install of, say, Ubuntu uh, or one of Ubuntu's um, you know, one of the, the Ubuntu based uh, distributions of Linux. Um, but if you're doing it independently, or if you want to have like just an encrypted partition or an encrypted file on your drive, uh, I would recommend not TrueCrypt, but Veracrypt. Um, it's been a little while. TrueCrypt, TrueCrypt is fine. There wasn't necessarily a whole lot wrong with it, but there was that mysterious event that happened, you know, what, two, three years ago now, where the developers of TrueCrypt suddenly said, you know, see you later, here, uh, use this. And they, they released a version of TrueCrypt, one last version on their website that I think could only read and couldn't actually make an encrypted file. And so everybody freaked the fuck out when this happened. I think this is like 2013 or 2014. Everybody freaked out because they said, uh, is there something wrong with TrueCrypt? Um, I've kind of staked my life on this software, maybe. You know, and they started to freak out. Well, Matthew Green and some other members, uh, some other uh, research security researchers, I believe it was at John Hopkins University, did an independent uh, review, audit, of the code for TrueCrypt, and it was found to be, you know, pretty much fine. So whatever happened there, we we don't know. But Veracrypt, V-E-R-A, I'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, Veracrypt has taken the charge of, you know, it's it's really it's uh, in fact as Roger Paxton of um, of the Lava Flow podcast and Resist the Empire podcast, who is a sponsor by the way. Uh, but he, you know knowledgeable guy and longtime listener of Sovereign Tech, he, you know, he said it very nicely. He said, Veracrypt just picked up where TrueCrypt left off. And I agree. It's it's the best option out there. If you're doing whole disk encryption, I have uh, seen where using it on a Windows computer where like the boot up process for Windows gets significantly slowed down uh, by Veracrypt. So that could be problematic. Now, if you're only trying to encrypt from your run-of-the-mill bad guy and your run-of-the-mill malicious hacker, and we're not talking about alphabet soup organizations like the NSA, AT&T, or CIA, uh, something like that, um, then, and if you're using Windows, frankly, 
you could use, if you have a, a pro version of Windows, be it Windows 7 Pro or Windows 7 Ultimate or Windows 7 Professional, or if you have Windows 10 Pro or Windows 8.1 Pro or whatever they were calling those, uh, you have access to Microsoft's own baked-in encryption software, which is BitLocker. Now, I wouldn't count on BitLocker to, to stop, uh, you know, any kind of uh, state actor whatsoever. It's just not going to. But if you're just trying to encrypt in general and just trying to, you know, keep people from messing with your shit, you know, the, the run of the mill person or some malicious hacker, you know, at Starbucks or something. Yeah, go ahead. Use BitLocker. It's easy. You don't run into the, the potential speed problems that have been trying to get worked on for a while with Veracrypt. Um, again, it's, it's not a huge issue and it varies based on the hardware you're using Veracrypt on. But anyway, BitLocker is, is, a, is you know, a totally fine option for that. But just keep in mind, you know, who you're using that against. Uh, other people want to just encrypt stuff with PGP. Totally legitimate, you know, totally fine. But Veracrypt is really the, that's the one I recommend. I use it all the time um, on multiple platforms. So it, it's just, it's a fine and dandy piece of software and there's great development going on. And it's still very actively development uh, developed, which is really important when it comes to this sort of thing. Um, so, Okay. Let's move on from that. Uh, Grammarly, the free, and the person put in quotes because nothing is free, uh, grammar slash spelling correction tool would have seemed like a perfectly benign and even amazingly useful tool had I not been a Sovereign Tech fan. But now that Brian made me paranoid to death, I won't touch it with a 10-foot pole. Who else thinks that an app slash software that tracks everything you type is bad for your health? On the other hand, given that my swipe keyboard and probably everything else on my laptop uh, and phone is tracking anyway should i be worried what's the consensus on grammarly and then they did hashtag tool of the week and hashtag wednesday q a um, which they did this in uh the the facebook group the sovereign tech uncensored facebook group which is where some of these questions come from um yeah so yeah so grammarly i've checked i've used this in the past uh it is an extension that works in your browser generally i think they even grammarly now has like their own like text editor writing software of, of a sort as well that they make available. But Grammarly works across the internet and will try and fix the grammar and spelling of everything you do, no matter what part of the internet that you happen to be on. Now me, I like far more granular control and I consistently type very strange things and very weird things. So services like Grammarly take me far too long you know, me personally, I, I, I understand why people use them and I, and I think they do offer somewhat of a great service, uh, but they, you know, it, it just, it would take too long to set up. And so I just, I don't fucking bother <laughs> with that. Uh, sometimes to my, you know, maybe it would be helpful if I did, because like, even in my newsletters, I, I notice a lot of typos or mistakes or something like that, uh, which is part of the reason I need to hire somebody to help. <laughs> so, cause I, I just barely have, you know, time's always an issue. Um, so, but yeah, Grammarly is absolutely tracking everything you type and it's collecting it. I'm not saying it's collecting it necessarily for anything nefarious, uh, but what I really think, so what I think is going on with Grammarly is it's not to collect necessarily information, though it can certainly take the dolphins with the tuna. But what I think the tuna is, is in the thing that you're trying, they're trying to catch with their net is they are creating a writing algorithm. Okay, like in a, in a system similar to what's baked into Microsoft Word that, that Microsoft has been uh, collecting and making and, 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 you know, cobbling together uh, and collating for as long as Microsoft Word has been a thing. 
How do people type? What mistakes do they usually make? How can this be fixed? Um, and so Grammarly is probably selling off what they do. And the reason that they can offer the service for free, because like the person said, uh, like the patron said, nothing is. Um, yeah, I think I think what they're doing is they're collecting it for for an algorithm to help with writing in general. I mean, and that's largely benign, you know, like like I but. At the same time, yes, they are collecting all of that data about you. Now, to answer the question about, but, you know, given that my swipe keyboard and probably everything else on my laptop and phone is being tracked anyway, should I be worried? Yeah, I, you know, I totally understand that perspective. Uh, first off, you know, if you want to use a keyboard that probably isn't tracking you, uh, you want to use the hacker keyboard on Android. Um, for iOS, you know, you're you're just going to have to trust Apple and, and use their, their stock uh, um you know, you use their stock keyboard that they have. But, um, you know, as far as like swipe and everything being collected on your phone, like doesn't matter. I mean, the whole thing here is just to make it expensive for them. Give, give them, give the alphabet soup organizations or the advertisers, you know, the corporatist masters, <laughs> if I dare use that phrase, just give them a hard time. You know, whatever system just, just makes it easier. I mean, the systems that make it easier for you, honestly, make it easier for them. You know, that's a very simple rule. Uh, and they're all, and most corporatist, you know, most, most corporations, most companies, especially ones based in the U S have a revolving door, you know, for the government whenever it's needed. Uh, so yeah, I, I get it. Like, you know, well, you've got that block of sensors in your pocket, like your smartphone. And really that makes every other privacy move you make moot. No, not really. I mean, yeah, I, I, I totally understand that point, and I agree with it in many ways. But still, make it expensive for them. Make it expensive for them. You know, you can make it harder, okay, for these groups to collect stuff. And honestly, like, you know, especially local police and a lot of that, I mean, a lot of these tools really do thwart them. And most people's, you know, negative interactions with authorities generally comes in the form of, of, you know, municipalities and local authorities. So you can totally screw the local authorities with this shit by all means, you know? So again, just, you know, don't, just don't make it easy for them. That that's, that's all I, I totally, I, I understand that, you know, I, and I, and I completely respect and love uh, the patron that asked this. I, I'm just saying like, like, you know, we can, it, it's not, it's not, well, you know, throw up the hands. It's, it's, it's never really that, uh, but yeah, Grammarly, that's what I think that it's about is that it, it's just it's not really about collecting all of your information and everything you do. In fact, honestly, it's a bad idea for them to collect that. That doesn't mean that they wouldn't. But it's a bad idea for them to collect that because then they could be on the hook in some form or fashion. Even if you, you know, click on I agree, you know, you click their little checkbox for their terms of service that says we're not liable for any leak or something that happens with the data we collect in Grammarly or whatever. Um, they could still be on the hook. I mean, it's, it's in, I, I talked about this many times, uh, and it's not my idea. It's an idea of, you know, that that's kind of sweeping Silicon Valley, thankfully. And it's uh, data collection minimization, meaning that you don't want to be on the hook for the data that, that you potentially collect. So don't collect so much. Like that's really becoming a big deal. So it's in their best interest to kind of anonymize it and, and, and just, you know, and I, like I said, I think they're going for some kind of a special writing algorithm. Uh, I mean, one of the golden keys or, you know, one of the golden tickets, I think one of these days that eventually some company is going to create is, and this will be done through machine learning and algorithms and all that is software where you could put in 
like certain events that you want to happen in a story, you can put in your characters, you can put in all the stuff, and then it completely writes a novel for you. It is just a matter of time before that happens. That doesn't mean that those novels are going to be great because they're not. They're, they're, they're just, they're fucking not. Uh, because great writing in my, well, I, I mean, again, art is kind of in the eye of the beholder, right? It's subjective um, to some degree. You know, for me, the great writers don't follow much in the way of grammar rules. I mean, you know, they don't do misspellings. Uh, and if they do, they're intentional. Like there's a purpose to their misspelling. I mean, there's just a lot of little tricks that make you remember when you're reading a story, like a misspelling or funny characters or something. And I don't mean funny characters as in people. I mean, funny characters as in like text uh, that, that will appear uh, odd, you know, odd run on sentences and all this other stuff. All these little, little, you know, writing magic tricks, uh, like Harlan Ellison was, is, you know, phenomenal at doing that sort of thing, uh, among others. Like, I think those are that, those are the great works. And, and you could say, well, eventually the algorithm can kind of figure that out, but it's always going to be some kind of random generator, some kind of random trick. And it's not going to have the same flow that the human mind, uh, you know, can really put to, can put to the page, you know, digital or otherwise. So, but someday that software is going to happen. And I wouldn't be surprised if, surprised if Grammarly was, you know, kind of on the, uh, you know, on the bleeding edge of creating that kind of software. So just to give you an example of what they would use that kind of algorithm for. Uh, anyway, so yeah, you know, I'm not a fan of Grammarly, but, you know, I mean, if, if you, you know, if you, I think if you feel you need Grammarly, you need Grammarly. Does that make sense? You know, like, like if you do that much, if you write that much, you fill out stuff that much, whatever, and you're, you know, very concerned about how Grammarly works with that, uh, or, you know, you're very concerned that you're going to make mistakes and all that and Grammarly can help you out, then yeah, you need Grammarly. You know, I mean, it's, the argument is similar to, I need a lot of services that Microsoft uses. Is Windows tracking every fucking thing I do? You bet your goddamn ass it is. But I'm going to use Windows because it's how I'm going to get this shit done. You know, it's how I'm going to get this stuff out there. Okay. Uh, and so, you know, there's, there's the weighing of costs and then, then there's the benefits. So if you feel you need Grammarly, use it. I mean, that's, that's really it. But yes, it is collecting all of your info and eventually somebody might want to make use of that. Uh, okay. So let's see, here's another one. Hey, Brian, today I was, uh, recommended wine. Wine is not an emulator. Wine is, or so stallion breaking in wine is a acronym for, um, what is effectively really an emulator, even though the acronym W I N E stands for wine is not an emulator. Uh, but what it is, is it's a compatibility layer, I guess, more accurately that allows you to run windows software, you know, win 32 and DLLs and all that, uh, within Linux somewhat natively. Okay. And this is similar. This doesn't just get done with windows. Um, if you're a user of BSD, like free BSD or my personal favorite open BSD, um, OpenB or BSD has a compatibility layer similar to wine that allows you to run, um, Linux. Now the beauty there is that BS or Linux is to some degree based on BSD and back and forth. That's it, long conversation, a lot of synergy going on there. Uh, but within that you have where some Linux software actually runs cleaner and leaner and faster within BSD because there's not a lot of that Linux bloat. 
This can also happen when you use something like Wine, where actually sometimes, because you don't have such a bloated operating system like Windows is, no matter how much Microsoft tries to make it more efficient, um, and they are, they, they really do work towards that. It's a fact. Um, you know, some stuff works really nicely with Wine. Uh, in fact, my, uh, my games... For, from Zomi Offline Games, Hypercronius and Ninja Trek, they both work with Wine. I made sure of that. Uh, so anyway, and, and they're originally only for Windows, um, though that may be changing in here in the very near future. Uh, all right, so let's read on. Hey, Brian, today I was recommended Wine. Wine is not an emulator. It's a way to move completely from Windows over to Linux. Are you familiar with it? If so, what are your thoughts? Could I handle the entire process of podcasting and website management with it? Here's a, uh, and he puts a link in the show notes. I'll put a link in the show notes as well. Yeah, Wine's been around for a while. Uh, I'm very familiar with it. I use it. I've used it quite a bit over the years. Um, the, like what's happened in the past decade, frankly, is that other than say Microsoft Office, which technically you could run in a web browser with Office Online, um, and Adobe, which also is the days coming where you can run Adobe software, you know, like Photoshop and or Elements or whatever, uh, in a web browser. They're working very hard towards that. Okay, uh, it's getting to the point to where I like it's hard to think of what things you would run in Windows that don't either a don't already exist on Linux now in the past ten years, like for podcasting, use Audacity, just makes sense. Uh, or the things that don't work with, or that they don't already have ported, you know, that they don't already have natively set up for Linux, uh, generally are, you're coming up, they're coming up with some kind of web-based model for it to where you could do it in your browser or something. Uh, running this, like, but the important software, kind of like what I just mentioned, Office, Adobe, you know, Photoshop and all this other stuff, none of that will work with Wine. Wine is limited. It's not perfect. It doesn't, it doesn't allow everything to just suddenly run. Uh, there's a lot of dependencies you've got to work with. It can be a real pain in the ass to set up, even today, even though it's, it's something that's been in active development probably for 15, maybe even longer years. I mean, I, I really can't remember. It's, it's hard for me to even remember a time where there was Linux and Wine didn't exist in some form. Um, so I think... I mean, I think, you know, it's actually told, and I've done this in the past, it's totally possible to run a podcast and handle a website uh, if you're using, like, say, WordPress or something like that, you know, using Linux stock with without even needing wine, you know, like that, that doesn't even need to be a part of the program. Um, but I don't, I don't know exactly, like, I need to know what software precisely, you know, you need that doesn't exist within Linux um, that that you would need wine for that's, that's kind of, that's kind of the thing. But if it's anything related to Adobe, you're screwed. Like it's just not going to work with wine. It's not going to happen. Um, I mean, it may eventually work web-based and then you can use it, you know, on the things even beyond Linux. Uh, but anyway, that's, that's the story with that. So, I mean, wine is great and it runs a lot of things really well. Uh, in fact, I mean, honestly, one of the reasons for years that I, that I initially would install wine, and this is going to sound crazy, but because it would automatically come installed with the Windows version of Notepad, not, not, not WordPad, not Microsoft Word, just stock, you know, uh, notepad.exe, just that good old fashioned notepad.exe. I love that little piece of software. I've been using that as far, talk about something as far back as I can remember. I mean, I've, I mean, I've been using that forever. 
and I still use it to this day. It's still the best, cleanest, fucking note-taking app and simplest uh, out there. Uh, in fact, it's 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 really really enjoyable for that because uh, particularly <laughs> because so many note note-taking and notepad apps and all this like do this auto formatting with shit. And when you're trying to copy and paste, like, say, show notes or something else into other websites and other platforms, it always fucks it up. And the spacing's always weird and everything. But you do it with notepad and you get exactly what you, you know, you know what you see is what you get. Um, so there was a long time where I just used wine just to have just to have that good old notepad. <laughs> you know, I mean, I know that sounds crazy, but it's true. Uh, so anyway, yeah, wine, again, it works. I just don't know what exact I'm, I'm not sure. And you can tell me, you know, and I, cause I don't know everything. Um, like I'm not sure exactly what software would be needed that, that doesn't already a natively exist on Linux or B that could actually even work with wine in the first place. Like, I, I, I don't know. So, okay. So I'll leave the, the link in the show notes for that. If people want to check that out. Um, I mean, there, like I could imagine some old pieces of software kind of like in, uh, this past week's episode, was it episode two thirty four? or 235, where I talked about Apple works. Um, maybe that's a previous week. Anyway, when I talked about Apple works, like you could use wine to, to actually get Apple works up and running, but that's old windows software, you know, and for those old, you know, out of development kind of, you know, windows pieces of software. Yeah. Wine's great for that. So, and, and to run it on Linux, great, <laughs> but, uh, anyway, okay, let's, uh, let's move on. Um, all right, I'm, I'm going to skip ahead one, then I'll go back. So let's see. And how are we doing on time? Oh, we're doing great. So, and this is from, uh, from a patron, um, Brian, I heard you mention digital feudalism on the latest episode of Sovereign Tech. It's an interesting, uh, slash terrifying idea. Do you have any sources you'd be willing to share? Okay. So digital feudalism is this idea that, you know, you're, you're kind of turning, I mean, it, it's feudalism just, just put in the digital form. Um, this is not, so this is an idea that I, I toyed with before episode 100 of Sovereign Tech and understand that that was years ago, years and years ago. Uh, and, I, and I'll, I'll be honest, and I, I, I told it to this person. I said, I was like, you know, I was scared to talk about digital feudalism. Like I saw it coming um, and, and I was really afraid because I figured people would just would think I'm crazy by by saying that. Uh, but now it's not crazy. Now, fucking every tech journalist over the past couple of years, at least, has said, you know what? Facebook's their, really their own nation, you know, um, and and th- this is what's happening is, is that you're getting the siloing. We're going back to kind of the AOL CompuServe days, Prodigy days and all that, where everything's within a closed garden. And they're really, really trying for this. There's a huge conversation to be had around this whole concept. OK, but people are really getting, tr- you know, trapped and stuck in them. Um, I think on last week's Q&A, I even uh, admitted that, you know, I was, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very much in Microsoft's ecosystem and a lot of people get stuck in Apple's ecosystem. Um, and then, you know, you kind of, you get tied up in all that, or then you, you know, the other, the extreme ends of where this happens is that you have Ethereum where absolutely by design, something I've talked about for many years on sovereign tech. I mean, you know, we're talking about what I've called tyranny of the code, uh, where, you know, you're building these 
again, I mean, everything's really kind of happening digitally anyway. You know, the only thing that, that keeps things, that keeps effectively nations from being digital in their entire existence anyway is just the necessity for a mailbox, you know, for, for, for an address in a mailbox where they can ship you whatever you order on Amazon or something, right? Uh, so, yeah, we're, I mean, we're already in a world where there's entire digital nations. I mean, and it's not just like Facebook or some of these big companies. It's companies you might not even think about. I mean, in a very real sense, like Electronic Arts with their origin platform, they're a fucking country. They have their own. I mean, in, in some ways, they have their own money and all kinds of other shit. Steam. I mean, so many of these things really are, are, are already what we very much consider and what we very much expect as services uh, from from, you know, systems of governance. That, that are already there. And really all it takes is for one of these companies at some point to kind of like tighten the grip a bit. And then you're really held within it. And, and, you know, and that's, that's how you end up with digital feudalism. Um, and, and there's more to it than that, but there's not, I mean, you know, I'd like, that's a very brief intro to the, to the notion uh, there aren't, the person asked for resources. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of great books on this. You could read uh, the essay dark enlightenment from Nick land. Uh, there's some of the works of accelerationists, which I might talk about accelerationists and, and accelerationism um, at some point. Cause they, they kind of talk about this, this, this notion of digital feudalism. Um, but they come from a perspective where they, you know, they think that it, it it's the last straw before we have a final change in the status quo. Um, Oh, that's a huge subject. So anyway, yeah, there's not a lot of great works on this notion, but a lot of people are picking up on this, that this, that digital feudalism is, is very much happening and it's happening with the major tech companies with blockchain technologies, not to say that inherently blockchain technologies are bad or anything. I'm not saying that at all. Um, but that they can be used to, uh, you know, create something close to a government, if not a full on government, especially when, how do you enforce what happens on these blockchains? Right. So anyway, uh, let's move on. Let's move on from that. I just wanted to, you know, get that out, out in the open air and just say, there's really not a whole lot out there, um, on the subject, frankly. So, all right, let's, uh, let's get into another question. And this one, I'll tell you, the person that asked it, if they have like any points or comments after the fact, in fact, someday I want, I just want to do a show with this guy. I'll tell you that straight up. Uh, but I, hell, I'd love to do tons of shows with this guy. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, he, he's certainly welcome, you know, and if anybody has any points on this, you're certainly welcome to, to, to respond with them. And, uh, and I will redress uh, this question as needed. So uh, I'll just read it here. I have a Patreon question for you uh, for your next Q&A. Uh, in your opinion, what is the main difference in Sterner's egoism in Ayn Rand's virtue of selfishness? Ooh, great question. Um, so, and this is obviously in response to, like I said, the very well-received, uh, very popular uh, Patreon episode that I did last week uh, about egoism. And I think it was episode 114 or something like that. Anyway, uh, so the difference, I, I'm not, I'm not going to spend all the time in the world describing what, sir, what egoism is. Please go back and listen to that episode. I've done, I have a, there's a video on my YouTube channel. That is all about my description of egoism, how it relates to hedonism and all that. You can listen to that. There's not a stitch of that that I would change. Uh, so, you know, if you want to hear about egoism, I'm just going to recommend because that's a whole conversation in itself. Um, I can give very simple explanations of egoism, but they require a lot of unpacking that, you know, I just don't have time for here in, in this in this Q&A so much, uh, though it might come up. But anyway, so if anyone has any critiques of what I'm about to say here, you know, please feel free to share them. Um, 
so the different the main difference between Stirner's egoism and Ayn Rand's virtuous selfishness. So first off, I'm I'm actually a fan of both. Uh, I really appreciate. I mean, Atlas Shrugged was a huge deal for me. The Fountainhead was a huge fucking deal for me uh, in my path to liberty and anarchism, as it were, even though Ayn Rand's not an anarchist uh, whatsoever. Um, Virtuous Selfishness, tremendous book. All of her books are tremendous. I don't agree with everything in them uh, necessarily, but Objectivism with a small O, not the capital O, culty Objectivism, um, is is a fantastic thing. You know, that A is A, existence exists, all that. I mean, I, I, I think that that's, that's that kind of, you know, that's phenomenal. Um, and doesn't, you know, those basic points really don't have an issue with egoism. In fact, I dare say there's not a whole lot of differences between the two. And in fact, I, I'm fairly certain Ayn Rand has quoted Stirner in her own works um, and spoke relatively favorably of him, other than the fact that egoism, even though Stirner wouldn't use the word anarchism, egoism does eventually lead uh, to to anarchism. You know, genuine egoism taken all the way with, uh, you know, the concepts of love and empathy and all that just leads to anarchism. Now, when you don't include that second part of egoism, that being the love and empathy, you can end up with fascism, certainly. So, you know, I, I, I can be appreciative of um, of that point. So, so I yeah, again, I don't think either of these are, are really are really that different because I think Ayn Rand's work is hedonism, just as the video I just mentioned, you know, that's on my YouTube channel, which is very popular, uh, you know, a few thousand uh you know, watches, whatever I, I think on, on my channel. Um, it, I mean, they're both kind of hedonism, you know, like, like they're, they're both, they're both forms, of, forms of hedonism. Uh, Ayn Rand's virtuous selfishness, I guess the, the main difference that I would see there between it and egoism, I'd probably say it comes down to, uh, I guess it would it would it'd probably come down to the property question. If if that was you know if I was really to, to to take it to brass tacks, like the main difference is that really objectivism or the virtuous selfishness or you know Ayn Rand's philosophy, which is you know called objectivism, and in this case I kind of mean the capital O, I guess. Uh, objectivism relies heavily on the notion of owning property. Egoism doesn't. Uh, egoism has no at least Max Stirner's egoism has no hard dogma on property. And the main concern or the reason that Stirner would didn't made it very clear, uh, particularly when you read in Stirner's critics, not just the unique in its uh, property. The reason that he, he doesn't have a hard dogma on, on owning on private property on owning property is because he said it can become its own form of tyranny, effectively meaning that, that having this, having this like really hard edge, it's like, Okay, uh, I mean, I mean, because understand that objectivism, you know, kind of bases everything, all notions, it bases, uh, you know, all human, quote unquote, rights upon the idea that that, you know, of of like self-ownership, you know, a lot of these very uh, common, I guess, common ideas that exist within libertarianism and anarcho-capitalism, not all flavors of anarchism, but certainly anarcho-capitalism, that ownership of property is exactly what, like, like that is just the the outcropping of the human condition or something like this. That is not a part of egoism. Okay, self-ownership is not, in fact, and I've talked about this with, with many people, like, 
the term self-ownership, now there's a couple different ways you can go about it. Hoppe has a certain definition of what self-ownership means, and like Walter Block has a different definition of what self-ownership means. Walter Block would make the claim that self-ownership means exactly what ownership means, that it's something you could transfer with title, meaning that you could effectively choose to be a slave, you know, like they, that you could choose to be a slave. Now, I think that that is absolutely impossible like, because you're always, you can't really choose to be a slave, okay? You're always, like, renewing kind of this vow. You're always choosing, and if you're choosing, you're not really a slave, okay? Um, outside of, you know, committing suicide or something, right? Um, you know, you're, if, if you want to, like, like, you know, have somebody, you know, be a dominant in your life, like in a BDSM relationship or, you know, something Korean or whatever, you know, other kind of stuff... Um, you're like the person really with all the power is, is the submissive because the submissive is always, always choosing to allow the dominant to be dominant. Okay. So I don't think you can't voluntarily, like you really can't voluntarily be, uh, you know, by the dictionary definition, a slave. That's not possible. Okay. As to where Walter Block would kind of say so. And that's one of those areas where I would say that having these hard rules on property, I, I mean, well, actually, you know, so, so here's the thing is that you can, you can make it like a legally binding contract a voluntarily, supposedly legally binding. which who the fuck knows what this enforcement body is. That's going to legally enforce, uh, this. And I mean, even without governments, who's going to legally enforce your, your slavery contract and, you know, to, to somebody else. Okay. Um, you know, but then isn't that like, would you call that person free? No, <laughs> especially if they can't just drop out of the contract and who knows, maybe the punishment is death. If they try to no longer be the slave that at one point in their life, they voluntarily voted to do for seven years or who the fuck knows how long. Okay. I mean, like, like these are, these are the things where the notion of private property, just like it, and, and you can listen. Yeah, I mean, really, you can listen to a lot of libertarians and, and some others. OK, where I mean, they take these notions like uh, just to ridiculous extremes. It's it's really, really crazy. And they never, ever really address the, the issues of the enforcement body either, uh, which, again, you know, to 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 have private property at the level that even I and Rand would talk about and a lot of uh, anarcho-capitalists and others would talk about at some point, you're really going to have some kind of enforcement body involved. Okay. And what, you know, what do the repercussions look like? I mean, these are all questions that need to have answers, but they're questions that make egoists make Max Stirner say, you better be careful with property. You know, I'm kind of reminded Thomas Jefferson had the quote where he said, never let the law get in the way of doing the right thing. Um, I mean, myself, I would stop that and say, never let the law get in the way. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Whether it's the right or wrong thing, <laughs> but, uh, but the point being, and, and I think Sterner was kind of saying something similar. Don't let private property get in the way of doing the right thing. And I think that's kind of, I think that's the major difference between egoism and, and objectivism, which honestly, I think are both. You know, I, I heard someone say once, like they, they made the example, like asking what the difference is between egoism and objectivism is like asking uh, what's the difference between an athlete and and the quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers. 
right? Like, what's the difference? They're kind of the same thing. It's just that they, they, they have, you know, there, there's these little points that kind of like, cause egoism is just this ethical stance. Even Ayn Rand use, would use the term egoism, you know? Um, I think she'd use like the term rational egoism or something along these lines. So, yeah. So I think the main difference between like Stirner's Stirner's egoism and Ayn Rand's you know, objectivism or virtuous selfishness is that Stirner's egoism, that uh, right to pursue happiness, which Ayn Rand was all about, which is one of the reasons I love her. Uh, it doesn't come from the pursuit of property. It doesn't come from owning private property as to where in objectivism, one could argue that absolutely it, it, it comes from your ability to acquire and, and have property. Um, so, or at least I, in my opinion, I, I think that that's, that's a clear cut case. I mean, understand, like I used to be, again, I never considered myself like a capital O objectivist. I mean, you start reading the shit from Leonard Peikoff and everything. I mean, it just gets crazy. Uh, just, just read Leonard Peikoff talking about the English language and you will see just how crazy these people got. Uh, but, Cause it's, it's nuts. All right. But, um, you know, a lot of what Ayn Rand had to say, fucking great. I mean, absolutely. She was total hedonist, you know, and, and all about, you know, the pursuit of happiness and all. I mean, that, that right fucking on. Um, so but otherwise, like egoism doesn't have a problem with existence exists. Ego egoism doesn't have a problem with A is A. Uh, there's other things like general semantics that could have a problem with e existence exists in A is A. Uh, but that's an, that's a completely different conversation. But egoism in the raw you know, has no problem with that. I really think the main difference between the two just comes down to their concepts of property is private property, the basis of all rights. Um, or does private or is private property, uh, potentially a spook, uh, something that has to be agreed upon by other individuals and you know, you know does it, I mean, you know, these are big questions. I'm not giving, I'm not saying that there's like, there's clear cut answers to all this stuff, but again, keep in mind that, Egoism doesn't say you can't have property. It just says beware of hard dogmas around property as to where Ayn Rand is the hard dogma around property <laughs> I mean, compared to the next to like Rothbard or Hoppe. Like she, she is the hard dogma. Uh, so, so I would say that that's the main difference between those two. And look, I get it. If, if a system of private property, you know, gives you a security blanket and all that stuff, Hey baby, rock and roll. I may have problems with what you, you know, and I want to hear what, how you want to deal with restitution and enforcement bodies and all that. If you want to have that in your system. Um, I mean, and the, the biggest question is what if I don't agree, you know, like because private property, especially under, you know, Ayn Rand, cause you know, she was all about patents and copyrights and everything, which intellectual property. I mean, that's one of the easiest things to toss out the door with objectivism because intellectual property is bullshit. Okay. But, um, in, you know, it, with intellectual property, like, where, when did, you know, say, say I want to download a movie. Okay. But in your society, like, like I can access this movie outside of your society, but within your, or even within your society, uh, through some kind of, you know, injection system or something like that. But within your society, you have to pay five bucks for that. But what if I live outside your society and I didn't fucking agree to that? Like, what right do you have to enforce against me? when I didn't agree to your society, I just happened like, you know, to have the big bad internet and the entire world is fucking interconnected. And so I had access to your movie somehow. Like, 
I, I mean, the, the, these these are huge questions that 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 need answering, right? <laughs> uh, as to where you know, usually the people like within that society would probably you know want to go after the person uh, that exists outside the society. Hey, hey, you know, you owe me five bucks, and I, and and I would say, well, what do you mean? I never agreed to that shit. You know, so I mean, there, there's challenges here. You know, with with all of this. So yeah, again, uh, now I'm just being verbose. Um, the difference is the concepts of property between egoism and objectivism. Otherwise, like like the great example, what's the difference between an athlete and the quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers? Not much. They're really both athletes. Okay, They're just one has a very specific application. Um, egoism is a much broader system. In fact, I would dare say, I'll end with this. I would dare say that really hedonism is even the broader application. And hedonism is the thing that we have like a lot of historical precedent for. And that egoism in many ways, I mean, this is, it's almost like chicken and the egg. What's first hedonism or egoism? Um, and you know, I, I, I mean, I guess I should say, I don't know, but I kind of feel like hedonism, hedonism is sort of the larger, uh, philosophy in a way. In fact, I said this, I think it was on the relationship rhombus show that I did with Stephanie on Patreon. I talked about it. I said, it's like, you know, if like a statist is a hedonist, I can get along with them a lot better than I can with most egoists or anarchists, like in a heartbeat, you know? Uh, so there, there's, there's certain ideas, certain things that, that, you know, that, that really can cross ideological borders, let alone physical or imaginary borders. Right. <laughs> uh, so anyway, okay. I'm going to end off with that. That's, that's plenty. Um, got uh, other stuff that may be coming out this week. Of course, got a dynamite sovereign tech lined up. I can't wait to, uh, can't wait to share it with you. And, uh, yeah, glad everybody, you know, we did the star Trek, uh, uh, update episode, a little star Trek review, because there's that new trailer for star Trek discovery that I am so fucking excited for. I cannot wait. Uh, you know, I hope you check that out. Um, and all kinds of other exciting things happening, still uh, getting the radio station up and running. Uh, that's, that's been, that's been a hell of a time and, uh, yeah, just other things going on. So anyway, that's enough new sex and science hour will be out this week as well. Woo! I'll see you on the other side. <laughs>